46. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Um, I had a book under here. Did anybody? Ah, there it is. I, I got all organised and I thought I'll have it there ahead of time. Thank you. <laughs> Take a bit of reading. Um, it's great to be back in the new year. It's my first Sunday here in January with you guys and it's great to be back. Um, over the holidays and before the holidays, I've been slowly working my way through this book called The Body Keeps the Score. Has anybody come across this book? Yeah? Couple? That's good. Um, I find it a fascinating book. The subtitle is Mind, Brain and Body in the Transformation of Trauma. And what it's opened my eyes to is that when someone has a traumatic event that occurs to them, uh, deep suffering, some trauma, it, it isn't just that event that happens in their life, it creates an imprint in their brain. And it explains why people who have been traumatised can sometimes find it very difficult to think straight and react if they hear a loud noise or something that associates with that original trauma, like a Vietnam veteran and gun shooting and they're at a birthday party and they hear um, a, a balloon burst, they can just flip because there's an imprint, an impression in the brain that triggers a biological reaction within them. And they're almost helpless to overcome that unless they're made aware of it and they undertake some training to help remediate that effect. I found this utterly fascinating, this neurological imprint in the brain and how it affects a traumatised person. Um, books like The Body Keeps the Score help us to understand it isn't just the event, the original event, it's the ongoing re-traumatisation that happens when that trigger event happens again. 
Now, some of you might be able to relate to this. I can't say that I'm fully aware of anything like that in my life, but I am aware of other people for whom there are trigger events because of trauma in their background. And I think the whole issue of becoming more trauma-informed is a very important thing for us as Christians. And it's something I'm endeavouring to do as membership pastor to become more trauma-informed about what happens for some people with trigger events. One of the things that um, Bessel van der Kolk, he's a, he's a Dutchman but he lives in America and he's the researcher who wrote the book and he's experimented with ways of reprogramming the brain so that it overcomes the trauma and they've had a fair amount of success with it. So in God's providence, many traumatised people find that the Psalms particularly are helpful for them as they grope back towards some kind of normality. Because the Psalms give voice to their pain. But not just voice to their pain, but voice to the wonderful overarching goodness of God in our life. And so the Psalms can be a very helpful way for us to come to grips with trauma in our life. Now, I've done the very thing. This is my first day preaching from a tablet, and I've reduced it. Here it is. I'm trying to keep my hands away from it. I thought I'll do something new this week. So Psalm 146 is the first of five praise psalms, hallelujah psalms. So Psalms 146, 47, 48 and 49 and 50 all open and close with that phrase praise the Lord, which in Hebrew is hallelujah, where that final phrase yah stands for Jehovah, praise the Lord. So this first of the praise psalms sets the scene for praising God. And I think as we come to this psalm, let's turn to God and ask him to help us to come to grips with what is a very important psalm. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we all need your great love. But some of us find it difficult to approach you and to taste your loving kindness me included at times. We long for the day to taste your goodness and loving kindness day by day. But you're, for reasons that we don't fully understand, sometimes our sin nature overtakes our new nature in Christ. We shrink back and try to hide from you and your great love for us. We have before us this wonderful psalm inspired by your good spirit and it invites us to praise you. Will you please help us now to enter into the spirit of this psalm that we might praise you, our God, that we might find our hope in you, our confidence in you, for Jesus' sake. Amen. The mood of Psalm 146 is praise to God and it's praise to God for his trustworthy loving kindness. He's, he's a God who does far more than we ask or imagine. 
a God who we'll see in this psalm does astonishing things. So this psalm raises a life-changing issue that none of us can afford to miss, and I I really don't want us to miss this. So I'm uh, breaking the sermon up into three parts. Verses 1 and 2, hear the call to worship. Verses 3 to 5, heed the warning about trust. And then verses 6 to 10, hallelujah for God's grace. So there's the three things. Hear, heed, hallelujah. Hear the call to worship. Heed the warning about trust. Hallelujah to the God of all grace. So verses 1 and 2, hear this call to worship. We need to hear it. You can... You can hear it but not hear it. The psalm opens with a call to worship the Lord. The well-known Hebrew word here is hallelujah. Notice what it says, praise the Lord, which is generic. Then praise the Lord, my soul, which is personal. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to God as long as I live. That's intentional resolve. There's a progression. The generic the personal, the intentional. Praise the Lord. The psalmist hears the call and chooses to respond to that call, responding personally, intentionally. Isn't this the way we all need to go? Hearing something and acting on it? Some days my heart is captured by God's call to worship. I get up in the morning and I read the scriptures and I'm alive to God. The things of God are just real and I find it marvellous. But most days it's not like that, I must confess. Uh, I find that I, I, if I'm to be really honest, I need warming up to this because at times I can read a passage of scripture two and three times before it starts to sink in. And some mornings I could read this, praise the Lord, praise the Lord my soul, I'll praise the Lord all my life, I'll sing praise to my God as long as I live. And it's like ho-hum, just not registering with me. We need to be intentional about really listening, hearing God's call to worship. I often need to... um, Make, I have to take myself in hand at times and say, soul, wake up, listen. God is so much bigger than us. He's the Lord of all, worthy of all glory, honour and praise. Blessed be his name forever and ever. And sometimes I just have to say that to myself as part of this awakening to God and really listening. Whenever we gather here on the Lord's Day at 10am or 4pm, we're helped by the music team who've helped prepare songs for us. And the idea is that we can enter into praising God. The service leader has given careful, prayerful thought to helping structure the service around the theme, the passage that's set for the day. And their goal is to be aids, handmaidens to us, so we can enter into the spirit of worship and praise the Lord. And sometimes we've we've had hassles with the children in the car or we've got arthritic knees or there's something weighing on our mind from work and we arrive and we're preoccupied. And we just have to hear 
this call to worship, to look beyond ourselves and our circumstances and hear, praise the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. We have to act on that call to worship. Do you hear it? Is this something that, that you are conscious of and your need to enter into hearing the call to worship? Hear me now. This side of heaven, we will need to speak to our soul many, many times. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And we will need to confess to the Lord many, many times that we are struggling to hear what he's saying to us. For some reason this is going backwards. I knew I might have trouble. There we go. So make it our daily habit to really enter into the spirit of what God is saying to us. Don't put your trust in princes is where he goes to next. He gives us a warning so look at what it says in verses 3 and 4. Do not put your trust in princes. Heed this warning. In human beings who cannot save, when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. So there can be times when we're tempted to trust in other people and their capacities and their abilities. And we're warned not to trust in other people, not that that's necessarily bad, but in the sense of ultimate trust. He's saying, put your trust in God. And he gives a warning about it in a way that we miss in the English. The Hebrew makes it clearer. Because of the damaging effects of sin in us, it's instinctive for us to turn away and, and trust in ourselves or trust in other people. And the psalmist warns us not to do that. Listen to the words. He says, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings, literally in a son of man who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. So son of man there, that's translated in the NIV as human beings, is Adam. And they return to the ground in the Hebrew is Adamah. And it's back in Eden when God created Adam, he created him from the dust of the ground. Adam from the Adamah. And he's saying, when their spirit departs, they go back to the ground, back to their Adama, and their plans perish. Their plans come to nothing. So Isaiah makes the same point in Isaiah 2.22. He says, stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? We see this with the Apostle Paul at near the end of his life. He writes and he says, At my first offence, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul knew his hope lay in God, not in man. He'd tasted the experience from experience that people had let him down. 
And God takes this matter of our ultimate trust seriously. Many times throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, we find Israel's leaders are rebuked for trusting or relying on foreign armies or lots of wealth or many offspring for their security instead of trusting in God. In Jeremiah 17.5, the Lord pronounced a curse on those who trust in man. Listen to it. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, the Adam who trusts in Adam, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Imagine being cursed by God. Wow. That would be horrendous. We really do have to heed this warning about trust. Who are we trusting? Are we trusting in men? Or are we trusting in God? On the personal level, in these days of social media and super influences is a phrase I've come across recently, young people and grown-ups alike, we need to be aware of where we look to for our inspiration, don't we? Many of those whose lives appear to be together and satisfying haven't got it all together. Only last year, uh, in May, MasterChef star Jock Zonfrillo, was, his body was found in a hotel in Ligon Street in Melbourne. He seemed to have it all together. He took his own life. He left behind a widow, four grieving children, many confused and disappointed fans. His plans come to nothing. On a corporate level, we need to heed this. Governments and armies have their place, but they cannot be the source and foundation of our ultimate trust, can they? Many Australians might feel safe knowing we're part of AUKUS, Australia, UK, US, the alliance, the AUKUS alliance. But when push comes to shove, we might find, like Ukraine, that other political contingencies come into play despite trusted friendships and alliances. It might come down to political expedience. It might be there in black and white, but can we really trust it? I'm sure we all know that human life is fleeting. My experience is that although we can know this intellectually, we too often live and act like we're going to be on this planet forever. Psalm 146 shifts our focus much higher, way beyond ourselves and our life and our resources to a better foundation for living, to God himself. So in contrast with a hollow hope of trusting in man, we need the sure and certain hope of trusting in God. His amazing grace. The rest of this psalm paints an extensive picture of God's acts, his saving acts, his benefits, his blessings to his people as he acts. His life will never end. He's promised not to forsake his people and he cannot lie. It's backed by God himself. So no wonder this is a hallelujah psalm. 
So verses 5 to 10 move us to declare hallelujah to God for his amazing grace. Hear the call to worship. Heed the warning about ultimate trust. And hallelujah to God for his amazing grace. Look with me at verse 5. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. There's a blessing for that, not a cursing. There's our true foundation. It doesn't matter how many friends we have on Facebook or followers on Instagram or X or whatever, does it? God's blessing will be on those who look to him, the God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is Lord of heaven and earth and who cares so deeply for us. The reference to the God of Jacob can be taken two ways. It can be taken individually as Jacob the man. Um, We know he had 12 sons. He was the ancient patriarch, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We know his name was changed after he wrestled with God all night. And his name was changed from Jacob, meaning supplanter or usurper, to, to strives with God one who wrestled with God. And we see how the Lord taught this guy over the course of a long life to trust God. So we can learn from the God of Jacob as a man, as a, as a person. But the God of Jacob is also used frequently in the Bible for the nation of Israel. Because Jacob had 12 sons who each headed up one of the 12 tribes of Israel, sometimes that's a term for the God of Israel, the God of Jacob. There's much spiritual benefit to be gained in looking at it either way. We can look at it uh, as learning from the, the benefits of trusting in God and we learn from the example of individuals that do that. I'm, I'm reading the Puritans at the moment and finding great stimulation and encouragement from their lives. The second way is to view the God of Jacob as the God of Israel, the corporate. Either way, we, our hearts are directed in this psalm to turn to God the God of the individual who cares for us personally, and the God of the nation, the God of the church, the God who cares for his people. We can trust him. So notice that the words help and hope are used interchangeably in verse 5. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. You see... When we hope in the Lord, he becomes our helper. And verses 6 to 9 outline many outstanding ways God's people are indebted to him as their helper and their hope. Verse 6 reminds us of God's sheer power and everlasting faithfulness. Notice what it says. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. And he remains faithful forever. So we're directed to this rock-solid God, the maker of heaven and earth. But when we gaze out over a beautiful landscape, lift your eyes to the Lord who made that landscape. Lift your hearts to God. 
Use it as an occasion for praise. Say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. You made me. Praise be to your holy name. And verses 7 to 10 then take us from that massive grandeur of the big picture of God's nature to specific instances of his gracious acts. This is emphasised by using the covenant name, the Lord, the great I am who I am, seven times in these last verses. Seven times like the, the number of perfection. As I was preparing this sermon, when I read verses 7 to 9, I couldn't help but think of the life of Christ, who fulfilled and continues to fulfil every one of these helping and hoping statements down to the letter. Look with me. Consider verse 7. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. When Jesus started his ministry, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has called me to set the captives free, the prisoners free, people who are bound by sin, captivated by iniquity. He befriended the poor and the oppressed. He fed the 5,000 with loaves and fishes and then the 4,000. He literally fulfilled that verse. Verse 8. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Jesus healed a man born blind. He healed lepers. He made the lame and the paralysed to walk. And he loved the humble righteous and detested the self-righteous. Look at verse 9. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Jesus healed the Syrophoenician woman's daughter who was demon-possessed and the Roman centurion's daughter and he raised the widow's son during a funeral procession. So he's on the way to, to the grave to be buried and he stops the procession and he, and he touches the, the beer, the, what, he's be, what the body is lying on and the young man arises. Someone said Jesus never did funerals, he only did resurrections. That's about right. So think about how Jesus constantly frustrated the scribes and the Pharisees and other self-righteous wicked people. When John the Baptist was languishing in prison, he sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus whether he was really the Messiah. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples to say. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus might as well have told John to just read Psalm 146. Tell him to go back, read Psalm 146. This psalm points us to Jesus Christ, who lived to praise God the Father in all things. 
After his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus rose up in a cloud and went into the heavens. And from there, he continues to dispense grace upon grace, continuing what he had done here on earth. He's the risen Lord, the ever-living saviour. So if discouragement or even despair creeps over you, say to your soul, your inner person of the heart, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and praise his glorious name. Take confidence in God. Rest in his love. He is the God of the living, and I will trust him as I live. Hallelujah. Robert and I have had to do this many times over the last 12 months since her cancer diagnosis. The only reasonable thing we can do when faced with things that are beyond our control or setbacks and um, things that don't go as we expect is to remind ourselves of God's faithful love for us in Christ. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and rose again on the third day. That much we know. That much we can count on. When you come to the end of your resources, don't look to man. Look to the Saviour, the Saviour of man, Jesus Christ. So verse 10 wraps up the psalm by taking us back to the original call to worship. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Zion here refers to spiritually faithful Israel, those who longed after God, those who sought to praise him in the temple like Anna, the true believers, if you like. Philippians 2, 5 to 11, urges us to take Jesus as our pattern for life on this planet. He's the true Zion, the true believer, if you like, the one in and through whom we meet God and receive his blessing in spite of any trauma, any suffering, any setbacks. Listen to the words of Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our pattern for living. You come to know God as your loving Heavenly Father by trusting his Son, Jesus Christ, who is our hope, our strength, our righteousness, our goodness. He is our all in all. He laid down his life for us on the cross, 
but he triumphed over death. He left it behind. He conquered it. He rose from the grave victorious. And when our faith and trust are in Christ, God receives us for Christ's sake. In all our neediness, in all our flawed nature, true believers are not exempt from trauma and suffering, but we don't need to be defined by it or confined by it, imprisoned by it. No matter what trauma you might have faced in life, Jesus, the suffering son of man, the last Adam, has died and risen from the ground, the Adamah, victorious over sin and death for you. He will be your helper. He will be your hope and your strength if you come to him. If you look to him, if you hear the call and heed the warning and don't put your trust in yourself or in other places, not in doctors or lawyers or politicians or governments or in your own self-discipline or your own inspiring social influences to feed your energy, look to him. Let him be your inspiration. Let him be your idol. Settle it now in your heart once and for all. The only confidence you will ever find in yourself will be fleeting in vain. And the only lasting confidence, the one that truly counts and will outlast you, is the confidence that comes from trusting in the Lord God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who speaks to you through his word as he is doing today in this psalm. So hear the call to worship the Lord of this psalm. Heed the warning about trusting in man. Learn to say hallelujah to God for his amazing grace. Place your confidence in Jesus Christ. Let's pray to him now, shall we? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we need you. As the old hymn says, we need you every hour we need you. You alone are our hope and strength, our ever-present comforter and helper. Please help us to place our faith in you alone. Build our confidence on you and your promises to take your word to heart. He who promised is faithful and will do it. Show us that you are all we need. Remind us of your covenant faithfulness, sealed with the blood of your son, Jesus, who died and rose again for sinful people like us. Reveal to us the wonder of your mercy and loving kindness that this psalm describes so well. Please bring us back to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.